Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Um, I want you to grab your notes and your journal and your Bible, however it is you do this space. We're going to dig in this morning. We are in a series uh, we're uh, branded uh, for the Christmas season right now where we're talking about the wonder, uh, of course, of Christ's birth and what that actually means for us. I think my responsibility as leader, uh, team teacher in our team and just uh, leader of that is to help us explore the mystery and the wonder of this season and what it means for us in new and fresh ways. And I always try to tackle this um, this subject and try to tackle this responsibility in a fresh way every year. I think this marks my 27th year I've preached Christmas at Community of Hope. And so that's crazy. I cannot even believe it. I just, it just time goes so fast. And so earlier I've developed a rhythm that earlier in the year start thinking about this, start reading about this and try to bring to you fresh application of the central truths of this season as we kind of lean in uh, to it. And so we are, we are in a series right now uh, in our church uh, where we are talking about um, the Advent season, of course. And if you're taking any notes, we learned last week that Advent is a Latin word that actually means this. It means coming or arrival. And so uh, this is a time of year when uh, Christian tradition has us focus on the Advent Christ coming, Christ's arrival. Here's an interesting thing I was thinking about uh, even this week. We are privileged to live in a beautiful time of religious history where we have seen the first advent of Christ's coming. And if you think about this for just a moment, right, you have the Old Testament that prophesied about the coming of Christ. And so, you know, we think of all these incredible prophetic utterances that came down to us through the people of Israel and different people who were marked uh, in their time and in their day almost as prophets. They were marked as prophets. We have these wonderful words from Isaiah where Isaiah talks about a coming king and we think about this 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And so the Old Testament prophesied about it. You get to the Gospels and the Gospels give us the historical narrative of the coming of Christ and we get to see this advent. But we are living in this time where religious history says there's been one advent, Christ coming, but there will be another one and eventually there will be another advent and Christ coming again. And so I think about this, I think of a passage of scripture in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 11 where uh, uh, Jesus is, you know, this is after the resurrection, and Jesus is with the disciples. He's about to be called into the air. He just sort of disappears in front of them, this huge, mysterious kind of thing. And, and they're watching this, and, and here are the words how Luke records it. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And the interesting idea is that we want to remember, it says, he will come back. So really, the idea for us is this uh, welcoming into our lives, this 
arrival, this coming. And then what does that mean for us in our lives? And, and we know that against the backdrop of everything that we're learning, everything that we study through the months of December, through the month of December, we have this opportunity to be reminded yet again, right? That Jesus is going to come yet one more time. And the Bible says when he comes that second time, he will finish his work to set everything right. Isn't that good? How many of y'all have anything in, uh, anything in your life right now where you go, I, I cannot wait till that is set right? Right? So there was a lot more emotion around that than I envisioned. Right? Some of us are, we have a lot of emotion around that. There, there are scenarios, there are events, there are griefs, there are losses, there are situations and circumstances. And Jesus is in this pattern of making everything new. And so when we study together the advent of Christ's coming, it's a reminder of all of that. Now, if you were with us um, last week, we, uh, Pastor Trevor was with us and he reminded us of this. And so the idea behind all of this series really is an, is an idea to look at the arrival, to look at the coming of Jesus and to consider its application right now for our lives. And so as as an idea, we're taking our lead in this series from a, a, a very meaningful, very filled with information hymn uh, that was written a few centuries back by the hymn writer Charles Wesley. And uh, the hymn entitled, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And that is, that is the hymn that uh, we are actually using to help us through the Advent season. So we're taking phrases from that hymn as a reminder. I was thinking about Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley and his brother were a part of what we might remember historically as the Great Awakening. This happened in the early part of the 18th century. It swept through England, swept over to the American colonies. And uh, Charles Wesley, uh, uh, if John Wesley was the preacher... Charles Wesley was the worship leader. And I was thinking about this because um, Charles Wesley, it said, uh, he, he lived, you can do the math there, he lived to be 81. I did a little history on this. He became a Christ follower when he was 31. So that's 50 years. And it said in that 50-year span, he wrote 6,500 hymns. That's, that's pretty amazing, right? It's pretty prolific. So I did the math on that. If you take, if you take 50 years divide, uh, and times the, the, the weeks of a year, which is 52, you come up with 2,600 weeks, okay? And if you take uh, 6,500 hymns divided by 2,600 weeks, that's two and a half hymns a week, Right? Did it make you feel like you're a loser this morning? Like, <laughs> we need to step up our game a little bit. I was thinking about, I was, I was thinking about that because, you know, we have Keith. Uh, Keith is our worship leader. <laughs> Big dog, Keith, right? And uh, he's, our, he's our worship leader. And if he was a hymn writer, he would look like this. Something deeply alarming about that. 
And so I just want to say to Keith, wherever he is, that's 2.5 hymns a week. Keith needs to step his game up a little bit. I I told him that and he said, yeah, and John Wesley traveled 250,000 miles on horseback to share the gospel. You need to step your game up. That's what I get when when I pick on people. This is what happens. So Christmas is a time of longing, right? Uh, when we come to a season like this, talk to my good friend Pat before church, and we were acknowledging together that um, when, we, when we get to December, uh, we all have a bit of a, a, a capacity in our hearts toward longing and expectation. And uh, there are the typical longings of this season, and there are deeper longings too. And when we get to the Advent season, when we get to the Christmas season, we're reminded of that. I, I can remember when I was a little boy and it got to be Christmas. I don't know how you did it in your house. Here's how we did it in our house. My, my mom would bring home the Sears catalog. Does anybody remember the Sears catalog? Come on, right? And uh, she, would, she would bring this catalog home. This is, when I tell our girls this now, they, they almost can't believe this is sort of how it was done. And, and each one of, like myself, my two brothers, you would get an opportunity with the catalog to kind of rifle through the catalog and make your list. And you would, you would just turn, I can just remember making all this list of things that, that, that we wanted, you know, through the Sears uh, catalog. I find it interesting that recently Amazon put out a catalog. I think that's hearkening back to that time. And, and so uh, as a child, there's all these longings. Uh, I can remember when uh, I got married and, you know, you, you were learning your rhythms of Christmas and we would, we, would, um, we would get lists from one another and we would do that. I remember one time when we were in seminary, we went actually to see Beth's family out in North Texas. And when we were out there, uh, this is a small little town. There's not a lot of stores there. And, and we were in this small little town, not a little stores. We didn't have any money. We were just seminary, broke seminary students, you know. And I remember I bought all of her Christmas gifts at the drugstore <laughs> because that's all I had. And so it was like spearmint gum, <laughs> chocolate, you know, this kind of a thing. I remember when I became... Um, a father, and all of the longings that you have now kind of come through your children, right, moms and dads? And I can remember, um, I can remember one year when we had Haley, and we were just in this new little church we were serving, this beautiful place, and we had given Haley a play school car. How many of y'all remember those cars? In fact, I was thinking the other day, her current car looks exactly like the play school <laughs> kind of car. And uh, she wanted more than anything else, she wanted a ga- the gas pump that goes with the car. And I know moms and dads, you go through this today, right? Um, they were gone. You couldn't find them anywhere. And I had the whole church looking for this, gla- this gas car. And, and, and we found it. Christmas was saved. It all worked out. You know, she didn't have to have too much therapy. It was all kind of a... A cool thing. But when we get to this time as adults, really, um, here's what I would tell you. Our longings are less material and more spiritual. And the deepest longings of our heart 
deal with eternal things. This is part of who we are. Uh, I have found that even people who um, don't profess any faith in God, when, we, when they get to December, there are these other things that begin to come into view. And we wonder if the world could be different, if we could be different, if circumstances we find ourselves in, if there might be a reprieve of some way, and things could get better. And the question becomes really for you and me simply this, how, how do we prepare for that? Like what, is that? what does that look like if we are to embark on a journey toward in our own lives preparing for the arrival of Jesus? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that uh, I was thinking, I, I think I just shared, 27 years preaching around the themes of Christmas, I've never preached this passage of Scripture. And when, when I read it to you, um, you're going to go, this in a way doesn't even feel like a Christmas passage because it's kind of weird. But um, in a way, it, it absolutely, of course, is a Christmas passage. I'm going to read a story to you Uh, from Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to invite us to stand in honor of God's word together. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read down through the first 12 verses. So in those days, Matthew records, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, ew. (laughs) People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath coming? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. For the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just ask you uh, this morning, by the power of your mercy, 
that you might meet us in this space. Uh, What I would acknowledge before you, God, as a communicator in front of my friends um, today is that uh, we would acknowledge already we, we come to a space like this with longing. We have question. We bring our humanity uh, into this space. And God, we want us through the power of your Holy Spirit, not just see this passage of scripture as a historical event. We don't want to go through another Christmas just for another Christmas sake. In many ways, Lord, the last thing we need is another one of those. But what we do need is something that speaks to the eternal longings of our heart. And so, God, I pray that you would meet with us here and that um, every single thing that we bring to you in this space, God, would you work in it? Would you redeem it? Would you heal it for your glory? and your glory alone. For we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So this is the passage of scripture where we learn about John the Baptist. And I think we would all acknowledge in the room, or if you're streaming the service online or podcasting later, John, John the Baptist is a weird dude. And, um, and so when we read this passage, uh, it's, it, it, we have to kind of look past that. Now, Historically, um, what we know is that when um, back in Jesus' day and even earlier than the time of Christ, when, when a royalty was going to visit an area, uh, they would send out, it was very common for royalty to dispatch uh, kind of special messengers who would, who would go ahead and announce a king or announce the arrival of someone important. Uh, and here's a connective, some connective tissue. They were often known as heralds. So hark the herald angels sing. And uh, so it was kind of an interesting thing. They would, they would go out and not only would they announce like the arrival or the, the coming, see the advent idea, the coming of somebody of royalty, but there was even something more involved than just that. Uh, they would um, they would help a city. They would help people prepare, and so it was not uncommon for these these heralds to go out and they would say, "The king is coming. Prepare and make way. Wash yourselves. Put your best foot forward." And and even this imagery of coming into a town, removing all of the clutter. Removing everything that kind of stands in the way of the king getting to you or you getting to the king. Even, even this, we see this ancient idea where it says, make the paths straight. Literally, literally it meant if there were curves in the road where the, where the king and his cohort could not get around, iron those curves out. If there's stuff in the way that's preventing the, 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 the royalty and, and, and their consort to get through. Do whatever you need to do so that there could be access to the king and the king can have access to you. Now, do you see the imagery of that? Because in a way, this is, this is, what, this is what John the Baptist is doing. And he's doing it in a unique way. He's doing it in the John the Baptist way uh, 
How many of y'all are familiar with um, the, 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 the TV series, The Chosen? Some of us are familiar with that. Do you remember, remember this is John the Baptist and the Chosen? Do you remember what the disciples called him? They called him Creepy John. <laughs> and so, uh, and so here's, here's Creepy John, and John is saying, prepare the way, make way for the king. And, and he's doing this, in, I think, in a way that's, that's befitting, in a way, of John's personality. And, it, and it's kind of a, a unique thing. It's kind of an interesting thing. But it was his role to help us prepare for Christ's coming. Now, here's what I want you to think with me for a moment. Um, we still have, I believe, shadows of this kind of idea in in our culture today, even as the church. Now, here's the interesting thing about the church. The church globally, the Church of Jesus Christ globally, capital C Church, is in revival globally. It's moving into new spaces. The church in the West, however, is not. And if we're not careful, we, we, will, can, we will look at, this is what we typically do. We look at our own experience and we, we put it on the rest of the world This is what we Westerners do. So if the church is not working well or operating well right now in the West, we think that's everywhere. It's actually not everywhere. Church across the world is is in revival, but the church in the West is, is going through some transformation and change, which it does every now and again. And so what I find very interesting about this idea is that uh, John is inviting us to prepare. And, and even as the West slips more and more into kind of what I would call post-Christianity, we still have these ideas, especially outside. Uh, still yet today, even though the churches in the West is kind of going through some reformation and some change, uh, I think it's easy to look at December and see that we, we still uh, externally think about preparation and arrival. We do this with all of our decorations, with all of our parties, with all of our festivity. Many, many of y'all know uh, I, live, I live in a great neighborhood, but I live in a, I live in a high challenge neighborhood. And in December, um, we, our HOA does a little contest for decorating. And it, it, and, and it started innocently enough. Let me just be clear. It's not innocent any longer. And like all year long, I want to tell you, my neighborhood, you can drive in our neighborhood and people wave at you and, and out of their garage, they come out in the driveway and they, they point and they wave. In December, you drive into our neighborhood and their people are in their garages doing this. I'm, I'm, I see you. And it just turns into this thing. I've got this neighbor across uh, my, uh, from my house. Uh, his name is Wayne. We have great relationship. We've been there down in our corner uh, the whole time almost we've been in our house. It was just a few short years, and then they, they moved in, and um, we, we just have this great relationship. In December, it's like this whole other thing, and uh, he turns into Clark Griswold in <laughs> December. In fact, last night, I took a picture of his house. This does not do it justice, y'all. 
This does not do it justice. And he keeps adding stuff and adding stuff. I, I went out just to, just to kind of gig him last week. I, I, he goes, are you, are you going to participate? And I said, this year, I'm going to go with more of a minimalist look. And I grabbed some stuff off of Beth's uh, dining room table, and I put it in the front yard. <laughs> And I said, I'm just going to tweak it down. And, and uh, he didn't go for this. So I'm, I'm out there putting all our lights up. And this guy, I kid you not, this literally happened yesterday. I get through, I got, I got it all done. And he calls out to me from his driveway. He goes, it's coming along pretty nicely. <laughs> Pray for him. He's going to hell. I know he is. I <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Sorry, Wayne. Wayne's looking at me. We have outside really good. But here's the question. How do, what do we do inside? How do we prepare the way? Make way. The king is coming. How do we do it on the inside? John gives us an idea. It's, it's weird It's going to involve some explanation, but it's super powerful, a little provocative. John's idea to prepare for the coming of Christ's arrival on the inside of us, it's capitalized in this one word, repent. Repent. Now, here's the thing. Let's just all acknowledge That's a weird word. It's super weird in our culture, right? Uh, I think John is partly responsible. Uh, In fact, Brandon and our teaching team this week brought, brought the idea that I think encapsulates how we often think of this word. Uh, He sent a meme to us and he said, this is what I think. (laughs) This is what I think. I, I think John would say, right? It's weird. Most of the time we think of the word repent, it's, it's, it's offered to us by somebody who's at a street corner, come on, or they're at a highway overpass, and they're just sort of like, they're extra people, you know what I mean by extra? They're just extra. And uh, it does disservice to what I think really we need to concentrate on in this moment. Actually, I want to, if, let me help you. The word repent actually means to change your mind. It, 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 it actually means like your mind and the disposition of your heart is going in one direction. And because of new information made available to you, you change your mind and you change your direction in another path. We typically think of repentance uh, once we get past the judgment part of it. We think of it as a one-time event. Repent! And we think, it, we, we think of this you know, this judgmental, harsh, legalistic, I don't know, this moment. And really, um, 
Repentance isn't a one-time event. It's a posture we learn to live as the people of God. Um, this is different. And God is inviting his people to be people who embrace a kind of posture toward his arrival, toward his coming to us. That represents a kind of dispositional heart change. It's how you prepare on the inside. John tells us in those 12 verses three different times, repent. The king is coming. Make way for the king. How do we make way? We have a change of mind. And that change of mind creates an opportunity for God to bring changes in our own heart and changes in our own circumstances. And I think John is pointing at it when there's another verse right in the ones we were looking at in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, that's not a one-time event. That's, that's a changing posture toward the presence of God in our lives. And it's that posture, here's, don't miss this church, that unlocks the key to God's redemptive, redeeming activity in our lives. Some of you are here this morning and you're going, how do I, how can I experience more of God? How, how can God show up in this circumstance? How can God be available to me in this pain? How can God show up for me in this loss, in this tragedy, in this moment? And here's a weird thing, a little provocative. John would say, repent. Begin to welcome into your life the posture shift that opens the door for his arrival of good news, of a great joy for all the people. Wow. Paul, I think, was hinting at it. And I think Paul took the gospel stories and uh, in his own day, just kind of a moving away from the story of Jesus' life began to help get it down into our DNA. And notice what he said one time. It's a familiar reverse, but we've never looked at it really quite like this through this lens. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Hey, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of, this, of God's mercy, the king is coming. 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some translations actually say it this way. Let God change the way you think. If we got a hold of that, I think we could welcome the power of God into our lives in new ways. And I believe with all my heart, as I stand in front of you, um, this whole idea of repent doesn't have to be this weird, judgmental, creepy thing. It's a posture. Wow, praise God. So this morning, um, we're going to light the second candle in the Advent wreath as a symbol, as a sign of joy. As we learn as God's people to joyfully prepare for the arrival of Jesus. And how do we do it? We repent. We live with a posture of repentance. Um, There's a prayer I want to pray over you. And uh, it's simply this. I want you to receive this. Now, maybe in a posture, we would hold our hands out like this and we would just say, oh God of joy, would you prepare our hearts to receive you so that when you come to us, for you are our Lord forever and ever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Merry Christmas. Go in his grace. We'll see you this week and next weekend.